Welcome in. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining me. This is week two of the abbreviated and severely altered 2020 Notre Dame football season. And this this is going to be weird to say, but we are preparing to face a Charlie Weiss-led offense of South Florida coming to South Bend, which triggers all the nightmares of the last time South Florida traveled to South Bend. It's all bizarre, but nothing should surprise us. 2020's bizarre. But the idea that a Charlie Weiss-led offense is going to come into South Bend to play Notre Dame blows my mind. To me, this is always going to be that chubby little kid following his chubby big dad around the sidelines at Notre Dame, running us straight down the crapper year by year. I digress. I expect a vastly different outcome this time. I'm hoping to see a much more efficient offense from the start, and I have ideas of how to accomplish this, by the way. I hope to see the solid play of the defense continue, and I hope Brian Pullian allows special teams to continue to be a weapon the way he used it last week. Also, we can't forget, the Big Ten's back at it with more hypocrisy and arrogance and philosophical inconsistencies coming from their fan bases. We need to discuss this, roast them. Let's get into it. Let's go. We talk about respect. We're talking about respect around the country. One thing that we want more than anything else, and that's respect. Welcome to the Always Irish Show. A whole lot of Notre Dame football and a little bit of everything else. That's often annoyed. Here's Johnny. That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back to the South Florida edition of the Always Irish Show. As always, thank you very much for joining me. You could find me on YouTube by typing Always Irish in the search bar. Hit subscribe. I do appreciate your support in that regard. Twitter, you could find me by searching Always Irish or at JKZ. ND4. Email alwaysirishnd at gmail.com. Audio only podcast version. If you don't want to look at my face for an hour, I don't blame you. You could find that on any platform. I'm there. Do subscribe to the channel there as well. I do appreciate it. Like I always say, like, subscribe, share, review, comment, write mean things. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction, okay? So, Here's, here's where I want to start today. I want to start by wrapping up some Duke thoughts and transitioning that into South Florida and what I hope to see this weekend, okay? So we're about a week removed from the, from the Duke game. Things have calmed down. I've had a chance to watch the game again and look at some things. So, so let's tie some bows around this and move on, shall we? Two-thirds of this team played very well in winning football. Special teams is the biggest surprise. I always ride Brian Pullian on how bad or average or mediocre our special teams were. They were a legitimate strength throughout the game in every phase, probably except for punt returns. 
I always want more out of Notre Dame punt returns, but everything else was good. Kicks were made, coverages were good, blowing guys up. Yeah, yeah, the big fake by the punter that changed the momentum. So, so special teams really happy with. Defensively, rough early, and then they calmed down and played Clark Lee defense. Gave up 13 points. You can't complain about that too much. Happy about it. Okay, so two thirds of this team did play very well last week. Winning football, I can't complain that much about. The offense, to me, did not. They did enough to beat Duke, and it wasn't even particularly close if you just look at the final score. But our goal here isn't to beat Duke. It's to beat Clemson. Okay, so that's my framework. It's not, oh, I'm glad we did enough to beat Duke. It's, do we look good enough to give Clemson a run for their money in the ACC? That's my question. Okay, so... The offense didn't play that well. It did get better later on. The line got better later on. Reese did adjust some play calling later on. I, I'm glad to see that. However, this is USF we're playing. We're 26 to 26 and a half point favorites this week. If you have problems offensively and start slow this week again, we're in big trouble for the year with because of this offense. And it's going to waste another good Notre Dame defense. So when you're a 26, 26 and a half point favorite at home, I'll give you COVID and first game slow start last week, whatever. I hate it all that. It's all an excuse. I don't buy into it. But I'm willing to give it a chance. We won the game last week. I'm willing to kind of put some of that aside some of that anger I had, and see if we can correct it this week. It could come out a lot sharper against a lot lower level of an opponent whose defense is way worse, defensive line's way worse. This should be the perfect opportunity for the offense to get rolling, catch some rhythm, catch some confidence. And I'm not talking about the third and fourth quarter. Right away. Let's go. Right away. Inferior opponent. Have a week of tape to look at your mistakes. You can no longer blame it on week one, okay, because it's not anymore. So I got to see that offense look a lot better from the beginning. So that's where I'm at wrapping up Duke. It did get better as the game went on fine. But I need the upperclassmen and the captains and the leaders to make plays early, ease everybody else in the game. Shouldn't be the other way around where... Guys that don't play a lot are making all the plays, dragging the third-year starting quarterback along for the ride. Shouldn't be that way. Nobody's going to convince me otherwise. Third-year starter, captain, I need more out of you to start the season. Never going to come off that, okay? Never. So that's where we're at with wrapping up the Duke game, okay? So let's talk about South Florida for a while. The first thing is... You see that 26, 26 and a half point, you know, thing. And and I just, I don't bet Notre Dame no matter what. I don't I don't bet teams that I have a relationship with. I can't do it. Um, but especially after what we did against South Florida in 2011, that nightmare that was an eight-hour bloodletting, it's one thing to get murdered in broad daylight. It's another thing for it to take eight hours for you to publicly die in front of everybody else mocking you. 
That's exactly what that disgrace was in 2011. Okay, we got murdered slowly and publicly for eight hours in a row and bled out for everybody to see. One of the most miserable days of my life was that day in 2011. I literally felt like I was dying slowly and it couldn't just take four hours because of all the lightning. It took eight. Okay, so between that weirdness and the fact that Charlie Weiss's kid is the offensive coordinator of South Florida, last time it was a Holtz was coaching South Florida. So we have these weird connections with South Florida and our coaches and their sons, apparently. Okay, so that's all bizarre. But when it comes to South Florida this year, they have a couple decent players defensively that are going to be NFL players. Their offense is going to struggle against our defensive line. They beat up on the Citadel 27-6 to last week. I don't know what to make of it because the only time I ever see Citadel is when they're one of these built-in bye weeks against Clemson or Alabama or Georgia or somebody good. They take their million-dollar paycheck to get beat, beat to hell, and then they go back to wherever state the Citadel's in. I have no idea. I have no idea. So I don't make anything of 27-6, to 6, them beating the Citadel. I do look at some bigger numbers, though, overall numbers. In 2019, this team was giving up over 200 yards a game rushing. Okay, 2018, they were giving up 245 a game rushing. Not even in a league with a bunch of good teams and powerhouses. Okay, so that's not very good. I know know they're rebuilding now after Charlie Week. I mean, Charlie Strong is out of there. They're rebuilding. So there's just a lot of moving parts right now with them. Notre Dame should be able to take full advantage. And if they can't, this year's not going to turn out to be anything if this offense can't do something against South Florida early. So get it done, okay? Their quarterback, McLeod, 11 for 16 for 68 yards last week. I, that's nothing. I, I, I just, I don't, there's nothing to work with here with South Florida. Work out your kinks. Kick the crap out of them. Keep it moving into ACC play. That's basically the game plan this week. Okay, if you're tested by this South Florida team, you got real issues. You got real issues and you're running out of excuses for first game and all that. You don't have that excuse anymore. So just go out there, work on the things you want to work on, run the things you need to work on, blow this team out, build some confidence, and keep it moving. That's what it comes down to, okay? So offensively, the two things I'm looking for right off the bat because None of this other stuff can get to the point it needs to get to beat a team like Clemson without these two things happening first. Ian Book needs to at least play a good Ian Book game. Like, that needs to be his baseline, is his good game. Now, I know I want more than that because it's going to take more than that to beat a team like Clemson. I got to start somewhere. He was so below even his self when he's good that isn't great last week. I got to start somewhere. Get him back to numbers that are at least in his normal range. And the offensive line needs to be more cohesive and a solid unit 
Series 1, Play 1 this week. I have no patience for five returning offensive linemen, three pre-ACC All-American picks, and a three-year starting quarterback to be holding the offense back. I refuse to accept that as being okay. 100% flat out, I refuse it. So unless that offensive, yeah, I saw pro football focus had number, Notre Dame's offense line is rated number one. If that's the case, I can't believe what number 20 looks like or 30 or 40. If that's number one, 0.7 yards the whole first quarter. So anyways, I need that offensive line to have more cohesion and be moving bodies more regularly early in this game to be satisfied. I need Ian Book to settle down, quit looking like a freshman, dancing around, not seeing Lawrence Keys wide open, bailing out of the pocket into pressure instead of stepping up in the pocket where you're protected, throwing off his back foot. These are all things you yell at a freshman or sophomore about. By the time it's your third year as a starter, I have no patience to even hear those problems. I cannot believe a three-year starter at Notre Dame, and I'm talking about him throwing off his back foot and rolling out into pressure instead of stepping up in the pocket. That's rookie stuff. That's amateur hour stuff. You gotta be better than that in year three. Get serious. This is the University of Notre Dame. I can't have a three-year starting quarterback that I'm saying his mechanics are bad. Get real. Okay. Moving on. It's clear to me that at least early on, wide receiver is going to be a problem. So you're going to have to rely on other things that are working for you. Okay. So what that is based off game one is your running backs and tight ends are the strength of the team right now. They're very, very good. What Kyron Williams did was awesome. You got Tyree in the mix, getting his legs under him, using all that speed. You still have Jafar to use him where you can. Smith in those short yardage situations, I like to see that. I think Tommy Tremble, Mayer, we already know what they do. Brock Wright doing some good stuff. We're going to have to rely on that group because wide receiver is just going to be a problem for a while, it seems like. So... We'll get into that in a little bit because I have an idea of how you could neutralize some of those issues we're having at wide receiver right now. But what you got to do is use your strengths. So do more of this misdirection. Do whatever you want to do to get all these guys the ball and and throw the ball to the tight ends. Do whatever you're going to do because wide receiver is a nightmare right now. It just is. So the offense did get better later in the game last week. So did the offensive line. It just still upsets me that all these guys with experience were the last ones to wake up and participate in the game. That still bothers me. I'm never going to get over it. That's not the way it should be. Not from your captains and your guys with experience. No. So when I look at the reaction from last week and my video getting all emotional, listen, here's the deal. This is a really human situation, really. You have 2020 has been a rough year for everybody. A lot of stuff going on. Challenges for everybody. We all wanted our team back. We all wanted football back. 
we got it back and we just wanted to be excited. It looked good right away and it didn't. So I don't apologize for that. That's what fans do. So, and I don't come off anything I said either. Um, I just think certain things are unacceptable for where this program's at right now. I didn't think I'd be seeing those things happen week one against Duke. And I did. And it's worrisome. And I'm hoping it was a first game anomaly. I have my doubts about that, but I'm really hoping that was it. Okay. So let's get into this a little bit more. Okay. So as we discussed, Book and the offensive line being more consistent and reliable is the number one overarching thing with this offense that those two things both have to happen or don't even worry about beating Clemson and all that stuff. It's not even a possibility if those two entities aren't more consistent. Now let's put that aside. I think we've established we feel pretty good the running backs and tight ends are going to be a strength of the offense. Wide receivers an issue right now. When you looked at this going into this season, there was two things I heard. Austin's a number one receiver. We're getting him back. Two is, a lot of people said Ben Skaronek, the transfer from Northwestern, they wouldn't be surprised if he was their leading receiver, their go-to possession, throw it up and get it receiver. I'm not going to say Chase Claypool because nobody's Chase Claypool but Chase Claypool. But your go up and get it, throw it up to the guy type receiver, Skaronek was going to be that reliable hands, all that kind of stuff. So now both those guys are out. Austin probably till Florida State. Skaronic, who knows? Then you had Lindsey out last week. Okay, so that's a problem. That's a big problem. You got the top two guys that everybody was talking about being reliable are out. Okay, so we need to figure out how we're going to make this work. Because if nobody fears your wide receivers at all, they're going to creep up on you in the run game, those screens, short passes over the middle. If nobody has to spread out and respect your ability to get down the field, you're playing in a 15-yard box. You can't beat anybody good living that way. You can't. You could beat Duke. You could beat South Florida. But you can't beat anybody decent living that way. That's disgraceful. This is Notre Dame. Have receivers who could do something. So what you need now is McKinley, Wilkins, Davis, Keys. I need you guys to find separation and make plays. Now's your time. Now I know Davis made the the touchdown catch yesterday. That's good. Wilkins with the first receiving catch of a receiver for Notre Dame in the second quarter last week. Disgraceful, by the way, that it took that long. We need guys to step up and get open. Who wants to claim these reps? Who wants to be the dude? Who wants to step up? Lawrence Keys. I know Book didn't see you when you were wide open. He didn't throw it to you. You only had one catch. I need him to be more in the mix. If it's Wilkins, it's Wilkins. But if it's Wilkins, it's him. I need somebody to get open. McKinley, do something. Okay? So with, with no downfield threat, this offense can't go anywhere. Okay? So... Here's my thought. While we're waiting for Skaronic and Austin to get healthy and come back, and we have those other guys that are physically limited, trouble separating, trouble getting open, trouble getting out of breaks, all that stuff, here's what you need to do. 
that's the only thing you could do right now with this wide receiver situation. Now that Lindsey's coming back, he needs to be your guy to take the top off the defense. I want you to throw him the ball deep multiple times, even if you don't hit it. It still makes him think about it. And if you do hit it, I get to celebrate my dude, Braden Lindsey, even some more. But even if you don't hit it, you take three or four of those deep shots in the first half, teams at least have to worry about it with their secondary. They can't just creep up, protect against the run in your intermediate and short pass games, and know they're not worried about getting beat over the top. So for the short term, while Skaronic and Austin are out, Lindsey's the key to that whole wide receiving group. They need to be worried about him to open everything else we do with the tight ends, the running game, and also pull some of that attention back to Lindsey, making it easier for the other guys to ease in, get catches, and contribute. Okay? So, that's really, short-term, the only hope there is out of this wide receiving group because your best guys just aren't capable of playing. They're hurt. So, I need Lindsey to be the Lynch the Lynch key here. He's the one that has to unlock all this. Be the threat. Make them think about it. That's how I would handle the wide receiver situation. These other guys, who wants to play? Who wants to earn a spot? Step up. Make big plays. Okay? So, when you look at this, and you got your two best wide receivers out hurt, you have a quarterback who throws off his back foot, panics, bails out of the pocket, doesn't see guys, rushes his reads. That's a pretty rough scenario. So this year against a lesser opponent, I'm hope or this week, not this year, this week against a lesser opponent, I'm really hoping we can relax a little bit, rein it in, have some control over what's going on, run more efficiently, get more comfortable, and get this offense going early, okay? And that's what I expect to see against a under-talented South Florida team. There is no excuse to struggle offensively against this team other than Notre Dame's not good. That's it. That's the only way, is Notre Dame's not good enough. That's the only way. Now, you'll notice one name I didn't mention on this wide receiver list was Jordan Johnson. When Brian Kelly was asked about Jordan Johnson, what did he say? He said he's waiting for him to come along with his traits. That's what Brian Kelly said. Traits is why he's not out there playing right now. Traits to me means the guys in the doghouse. Anybody Brian Kelly says they're working on traits, they're in trouble with Brian Kelly. So I got a little bit of information on this that I'm not going to blow the kid up on on this show. But he's already in the doghouse for stuff. That's stupid stuff. Clean it up because right now is a really good opportunity for him. And he's not getting a chance because of this stuff. So clean it up. It's too early in his career to already have worries about traits. We could use the guy out there right now, especially in a year where as a freshman he could play as much as he wants and it doesn't count against his eligibility. Every game he misses is a total waste because you get that whole extra year. And especially with our guys injured, 
this would be the time to have him out there. But it's just not going to happen. So all these other guys need to step up. Braden Lindsey returning this offense, both in terms of the pass game deep as that threat that loosens up the secondary and the linebackers. And in those jet sweeps, those little run plays around the edge, the misdirection Tommy Reese seems to like to run. And I like it too. You get all the defense going one way, then you go the other. I like that a lot. Braden Lindsey's great at that. It's it's the USC play. He turns the corner on that little pitch sweep. He's gone. Okay. So seeing him back should give this offense another spark that it desperately needs because until Chris Tyree gets more comfortable, Lindsey's your speed guy. He's the only speed guy. Okay. So I expect the offense to flow a little better. It's week two. Get to look at your mistakes on film, lesser opponent. I just hope to see a less frenzied start offensively. Calm, under control, know what you're doing, be precise, work work on the stuff you want to work on, put together some good drives early, let's go. Week one's over. All those excuses are over. Let's go. 26 and a half point favorite. Let's let's go. Get the offense going. Okay. Now, defensively, here's what I have to say about the defense. Early on, a little bit of the tackling was loose. Angles were bad. Gaps, gap integrity was not ideal. Run fits, that kind of stuff. You had a lot of linebackers over pursuing angles early out of uh aggression built up of this is our first game. We're going to take it out on somebody, that type of stuff that calmed down significantly as the game wore on. And before you know it, they reverted back to a Clark Lee defense, gave up 13 points. Okay. So I expect that over pursuit and that over aggression. I don't want to see as much as that this week. Game one jitters are over all that game one excitement energy. Calm down. Settle into another Clark Lee-led defense this week. So, I want to see this secondary level out a little more. Hamilton's not going to be there. It shouldn't matter this week. It just shouldn't. Let him heal up for ACC play. Shouldn't matter that he's out. But I want to see some of these other secondary guys fit into some roles and establish some some permanent roles. Let's. See. I want to see that rotation some more this week. I expect those linebackers to be better with that gap and maintaining run fits and all that stuff. I want to keep seeing um, like Adi and Hayes off the edge. They should eat this week. I I just, I want to see it. Okay. So I'm excited about that. Um, Defensively, they gave up 13 points. That's winning football all day long, no matter who you're playing. I don't have that much to complain about. It's almost maintenance-only mode at that point where that's about the bar. Just do what you're usually doing. I'm not asking for any more. Do what you've been doing. Play how you play. We win the game by a lot. The defense I'm satisfied with, okay? I briefly hit on this before. When you're talking about special teams, they were actually used as a weapon last week. Hard-hitting coverage, Made all the kicks. The kickoffs were in bounds. Some kickoff return success. You had the fake punt. Okay, so 
I love that. I'm always asking why Notre Dame doesn't value special teams in a way to use it as a weapon. They did last week. I want to see them build on that. I want to see them build on that. Now that group has a lot of confidence. They made momentum-changing plays last week. Big hits on the coverage. It gets everybody pumped up. The fake punt, the good run, all of it. Making your kicks. The only thing I want improvement on is the punt return. And that's always a struggle with Brian Kelly and Notre Dame. Just never seems like that's of much value to the program. Um, But overall, special teams got an A last week. I love it. So I want to see more of using special teams as a weapon in this game. Okay, so credit to Brian Polian. He did a really good job. His unit played winning football from the start. That's all I can ask. I'm hard on Polian when special teams is bad. I'm going to give him credit. They were really, really good last week. Keep it up. So, as we enter South Florida week, we're going to do my five things to look for list yet again. We're going to tweak it a little bit. I got a little bit more specific with it since we've we've got more information to go off of from the first game. Number one, we're going to try this all over again with number one. Does Notre Dame come out crisp and ready to play big boy football or do we come out slow, confused, lame, four, three? That's the other thing. Last week, we're counting, we're, we're mad saying the offense had three, three and outs. It was really four, three and outs in a row. Then you had the fake punt. So it was even worse than I was yelling about. It was four, not three. Are we going to do that again against a way worse opponent? Or are you going to come ready to play big boy football? If you want to run the ball, run the ball. You want to throw it, throw it. You should have success doing it whatever way you want. Okay? 26 and a half point favorite. Do whatever you want and work on it. So, number one, do we start crisp or slow again? I have, I already had no patience for starting slow last week. You do it again this week against South Florida, my head's going to pop off. Number two, the offense. I want to continue to see more of what did work. Misdirection, play action, tunnel screens that are actually blocked well. Those all started to work later in the game. I want to see Reese build on that. I like those plays. Build off what works, okay? Then, of course, I have my two marking points. Does Ian Book look settled in and more comfortable this week? Is the offensive line look like it has more cohesion, ready to power run the ball from play one, drive one, minute one? And then, can Lindsey open up things for the offense Make the defense worry about a deep threat. Make a play in the running game. I'm really excited for him to come back, especially with Skaronic out and Austin out. That receiving group needs somebody to be a spark, take some attention away from the group so they can get open, have a guy shading Lindsey. Whatever you need to do, but he needs to be the guy. So I'm looking for him to have a bunch of touches and open things up for the offense. Okay, Number three defensive maintenance. I love what you did. You gave up 13 points. I think that should be the goal again this week. You're playing an even worse opponent. You gave up 13 last week. Make 13 or less the goal this week. 
I'm happy with what you're doing. They're in maintenance mode. Your goal should be 13 or less, okay? Number four, this is really interesting. This is actually a pretty fun one. I talked last week wanting to see young guys that emerged. I want to see if some of the young guys that emerged in game one can build on it. Kyron Williams, Foskey, Michael Mayer. I would like to see Tyree get more involved and break a little bit of something off, either in the run game or the the kick game or throw him the ball, whatever. So I want to see that. Also, I want to see other guys continue to step up. For instance, somebody besides Brain Lindsey in that uh, wide receiver group, have a McKinley, go have a big day. Like, go have a big day. So, Keys, Lawrence Keys, he had one catch last week. I'm sure you're not happy with that. Get open again. Hopefully, Book will see you. Okay? So, I want to see some other guys step up. I want to see the guys who had good week one build on that have a good week two. Okay? Here's number five. Can Brian Kelly refrain from turning purple this time against USF? Because last time he could not. Do you guys all remember? That was the ultimate Brian Kelly purple face sideline scene. That's like the first one I remember. Whereas he was literally turning purple. So I would like to see if Brian Kelly and always Irish can both refrain from their faces turning purple for the entirety of the USF game. Which, by the way, hopefully doesn't go nine hours this year. So that's what I want to see. Number one, slower crisp start again this week. Number two, build on this offense. Be more efficient. Be more consistent. Figure out what you could do. Run some things. This is the week to figure it out. Number three, defense. Maintain. You're doing great. Keep it up. Number four, young guys. Continue to emerge and build on the confidence you've gained last week. Number five, can Brian Kelly and John, always Irish, not turn purple and stroke out during this game? We'll be back next week and discuss the results. We'll see. Well, 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 look what we have here. It's time for your weekly Big Ten incompetence report. Looks like the Big Ten wants to play now. Oh, my gosh. How did this happen? After all the shenanigans, all the BS, no answers, no information, all the confusion, the parents of the players revolting, after all that, they've decided to reverse course and play. So they've decided on an eight-game in-conference schedule starting October 24th, eight weeks in a row with no bye weeks, championship game will be in play for a ninth game. Now, here's the interesting part. Also, so you're going to have your, you know, your losers and liars division lead. Oh, oh, I mean legends and leaders. Sorry, sorry. You're going to have those two winners playing in the Big Ten championship game. Then they're also going to take the second place team from each division. They're each going to play as a tiered way to do this so that each team gets their ninth game, okay? So that is a little little unique. So each team's going to have nine games guaranteed, the top billing obviously being the Big Ten Championship affair. Now, what's really interesting about that game is 
it's going to be on December 19th, and the playoff committee votes on December 20th. That's really interesting timing. I don't know how that happened. So what do we make of this? First off, it is great for college football. It's great for college football and the sport to have the Big Ten back. Nobody could question that. I'm not going to question it. It's great. I love having that back. But there's so much unanswered here. So much hypocrisy that it just has to be questioned and called out. So here's just some questions I have. What medical information's changed so drastically in the last few weeks that now it's magically safe to play all these football games, but it wasn't a few weeks ago? I don't understand this. Not that much has changed. Do we have a vaccine? Is everybody healthy now? This virus isn't a problem. So I don't understand that. What information's changed since the Big Ten's lawyers were saying that releasing the documents of the medical information of why they shut down to begin with would would cause significant damage to the conference? What happened to that? They didn't want us to know the information they had when they shut it down. A couple weeks later, now that information doesn't apply? That's very interesting to me. I would like some clarification on that. But all they do is run in circles, run around the question, and people let them get away with it. It's a total joke. They realized they canceled too early. They made a mistake. They have their tail between their legs. They were humbled. They thought they had all this power, and they don't. And now they're coming back crying because they realize they screwed up. They want to fulfill the TV contracts, all that. The funniest part of all this is the lie that this is about letting the kids get back to what they wanted. No, 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 no. This is about TV money. That's what it's about. It's about TV money now. Okay. So they got the Big Ten got totally pantsed from the beginning by their own arrogance. Okay. They thought they had the power to call their own shots cancel the season, then tell every other conference, this is what the big, bad Big Ten did. You're all going to follow us, right? And they all said, no, we don't care what you do. We're doing our own thing. The Big Ten was so arrogant, so conceited, so intoxicated by the, the image of power they think they have that they don't that they genuinely thought they could make their own internal decision and have the entire country and every conference affected by it, bending over and agreeing and kneeling to what they want and they say. I'm glad it didn't happen, and they got humbled, ridiculed. They're a joke. They have no leadership. There's no answers. We're still not getting honest answers about any of what happened behind the scenes, all these votes, the medical information, how did it change so fast? Where's that information? I don't know. I still don't know why they felt they had to cancel it so early when they could have kept practicing, waited till closer to the season. None of this makes any sense from the beginning. None of it's made any sense. So they caught the backlash. They're humbled. They see that nobody cares what you do. We're going to play football without you. Okay. So now they're realizing they're not as powerful as they thought. 
great to see. Okay. So, but here's the main part of this. One of the most pure joys I get out of life and this show is exposing football arguments as philosophically being inconsistent and hypocritical. Okay. I love pointing that stuff out to people when they do this. If you have a philosophy and you want to stick to it, fine, but you got to stick to it all the time. You can't just stick to a football philosophy when it benefits your position. Then when it doesn't, flip-flop. That's what you have going on right now, and I'm going to call it out right damn now. All I hear about every year is how Notre Dame plays 12 games and not 13, so they shouldn't be allowed in the playoff discussion. Every year I hear that. Now you're going to have Notre Dame in the ACC, teams with 10 conference, one out of conference games, 11 total, 12 games total if you're in the ACC title game. Okay, That's the structure this year. Now the Big Ten is going to have eight games, nine if you're in the Big Ten title game. How does the committee handle this disparity? Because now you're going to have a situation where a team is going to play nine games and another team's going to play 12 games. So you want to give Notre Dame crap about that 12 to 13th game data point, which for most teams shouldn't even apply because everybody other than Notre Dame and UCLA has scheduled an FCS opponent. Notre Dame and UCLA are the only two who have never done it, so they're the only ones I respect in regards to their scheduling. Okay, So put that aside. Even in a normal year, the 12 to 13th game argument with Notre Dame to me doesn't apply to any team that's scheduling the Citadel, junior colleges, high school teams, grade school teams. Okay, In a regular year, due to them scheduling an FCS buy, I don't even buy the 12 to 13 game argument against Notre Dame. How's this going to go this year when you have a Big Ten team with three less games than an ACC team? How's that going to work? Because you could see the way the Big Ten set this up, that they want their conference championship game to be one day before the committee votes for the playoff. So you're going to end up with what? What's the most likely scenario? 9-0 Ohio State? 8-1 Ohio State is the most likely scenario? So you got to tell me, Mr. Big Ten fan, Michigan Wolverine fan with your three teeth, your long-ass mullet, you got you to answer me this. All you people that are in my Twitter, commenting on my YouTube, hitting me up, Notre Dame shouldn't be allowed because they have one last game. Well, now your conference has three less games. Does that philosophy still apply? It ain't even one game. It's three games. So let me ask you, for any of you Big Ten intellectual elites, there's about three of you, does this philosophy still apply when it's on you? And it isn't one damn game difference. It's three. It's three games difference. Does this still apply? Your philosophy that Notre Dame should be excluded 
because they don't have that 13th data point. Well, now guess what, Big Ten? You don't have the 10th data point, 11th data point, or 12th data point. 10, 11, 12. Three games difference. And you want to play and have a seat at the playoff with three less games than we're playing? Fine. Fine. Listen. I already don't trust this committee. And the other ADs and the the people in here still get to vote on whether they're going to allow the Big Ten to be a part of this or not. They're going to do it because they want Ohio State. So they're going to say yes. So I I know the committee's not going to play hardball and say no. Ohio State's a big brand. They want them involved. Fine. I'll accept that. But only. I will only accept this. If. I never hear another word about that lack of a 13th data point when it comes to Notre Dame. Otherwise, you're being 100% hypocritical and make no sense. So, if you're an Ohio State fan or Penn State, I'm not even going to mention Michigan in the mix, okay? I never want to hear you again bring up Notre Dame's lack of a 13th game. If you want your team with three less games than us, to have a chance to make the playoff. Not one. You didn't even want Notre Dame to have a one-game cushion. And you want three? You want a three-game cushion? You're asking for a lot, and if you're going to do it, we'll just have to make a deal. If you want three games out of pocket for free, you got to agree to never, ever again Till the day you die, bring up that lack of a 13th data point when it comes to Notre Dame. This philosophical inconsistency makes me sick to my stomach. Mr. Ohio State fan, Mr. Penn State fan, do you want your team to be involved in the playoff discussion this year? Yes or no? If your answer is yes, You implicitly agree to never, ever give Notre Dame a hard time again about not having 13 games if you want to be out of pocket three games short. Not one, three. So if you want to use all that ammunition on Notre Dame, 12 games to 13, I never want to hear it again if you want three freebies. So... All I'm saying is be consistent. If you're against Notre Dame being in the playoff because they don't have 13 games, they don't have to play as much, risk a loss as much as you do, how do you think people feel playing three more games than you that they could lose? One, two, three. So I'm just asking for philosophical consistency here. If you hate it that much that Notre Dame does it with one less, You can't now flip it and want it in your advantage when you're three less. And I know Ohio State people are dreaming of that playoff with Justin Fields. Fine. Fine. It's good for the sport to have them involved. I agree. But you also have to agree if we're going to do this deal, I never want to hear that 13th data point argument again. Ever. Ever. That's over if we go down this path. I just, I got to call you out when you do stuff like this. 
I got to call you out. Even in the 12 to 13 scenario, it doesn't apply because of the FCS games. You're out. So then it's 12 games to 12 games. So even in the years this argument's made against Notre Dame, I fight back against it logically because of the FCS part of it. Oh, John, but some of those teams lose to the FCS. That proves that they're not walkovers. No, it proves you made two mistakes. Scheduling them and then thinking you could sleepwalk through it and losing to it. It doesn't prove that it's a good way to schedule. It proves you you screwed up twice. That's all that proves. So that doesn't make it okay to do. So if you want to go down this path, be a part of the playoff with three less games, fine. But it's over. I never want to hear the argument against Notre Dame again. Be consistent. That's all I ask. If you're making football arguments, be consistent. They can't only apply for you. And when they work against you, you want to flip it. I'm not going to allow it. So if this is how it is, fine. I will accept the, the opportunity that you could have a team with three less games than us taking a playoff spot. But I never again want to hear this argument. It's over. Buried in a coffin, dead forever. Never want to hear it. Okay? Never. Okay, I want to finish up just on some interesting news and notes, okay, to finish up this show. The one is, I mentioned in my last episode, I'm shocked. I haven't heard more pushback from anybody involved with the Pac-12 about wanting football, missing football. It's been all crickets, okay? Then I see on Twitter, Emon Ross St. Brown, who plays for USC, submitted a letter, let us play, we want to play. I got two things to say is, too bad you didn't come to Notre Dame like your brother. Then you'd be playing. And number two is, I'm just glad to see somebody in, in that conference that cares and they want to fight to play some football. So I'm glad to see some life out of these guys. It's about damn time. Jeez. Moving on. God bless Drew Tranquil. Had a gruesome leg injury again. He's been through so much. Carded off the field week one, game one uh, for the Chargers. Now, here's the neat thing. If that had to happen, his replacement at his position for the Chargers is Asmar Bilal from Notre Dame. So, I feel horrible for Drew. He's been through so much with these catastrophic lower leg in injuries. If this had to happen, I do think it's pretty darn cool that one of his Notre Dame teammates is the one filling his stead. I do think that's special, unique, and neat, personally, okay? Oh, I got more bad information for the Notre Dame's irrelevant crowd. 4.37 million viewers for Notre Dame last week. Most watched games so far in all college football. Most watched home daytime opener in 14 years. Third highest viewing numbers since 2015, for any Notre Dame NBC home game. It's pretty tough for the irrelevant crowd. Ratings up 140% from last year's opener. Highest non-NFL program all week. Tough news for the Notre Dame's irrelevant crowd. And then I get these numbskulls saying, I just watched to root against them. That doesn't mean they're... Yeah, if you watch to root against them, that proves they're not irrelevant. Irrelevant means you don't care what happens. 
if you hate them enough to watch every week to root against them, they're not irrelevant. Irrelevant means you don't care what happens. If you're hate-watching us, you care what happens. Therefore, we're not irrelevant. You're a dummy. Get smarter. Okay, come up with better arguments. Then, I'm just throwing this out there. I don't think it means anything. I don't think it should be taken that seriously after week one. But I just want to point out that it's out there. I read an article by an ACC writer, and it was called The Irish Losing Grip as Clemson's Main Challenger in the ACC. After one week, they're already saying Notre Dame's offense is no good. They got North Carolina taking that second spot in terms of ACC power rankings over Notre Dame. After one week in a game, Notre Dame ended up winning pretty comfortably. They're saying this offense isn't good enough. Don't believe in it. North Carolina looks better. Now, none of that means anything. It's one guy's opinion writing an article. We're in the ACC this year. It's not really an opinion situation with Notre Dame. If you win enough, we'll be in the ACC title game against Clemson. If we don't, we're going to be ridiculed forever. And I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be terrible for the rest of our lives if we don't get that done. But I just wanted to point it out. We got through one week, and we already got people saying, I don't think Notre Dame's that good. Just wanted to bring it to your attention. Doesn't mean anything because we're going to win or lose and end up where we end up. But that perception is already out there after one damn week. So, in regards to South Florida, I expect good defense to continue. I expect good special teams to continue. I truly expect the offense to look a little smoother, more rhythm, more put together earlier in the game. I expect that. If we don't see it against South Florida, we have major, major issues if you don't see it against this team. So I really do think we're going to see it. I don't expect this game to be close. Get further, just get more settled in. I just felt last week like everything was chaotic and hectic in week one and running around. Just calm things down. Control the game flow. Run what you were on a run. Work on it. Blow this team out. And then get ready for more ACC games, okay? So that's what I want to see. I think we will see it. If we don't, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. But we'll see what happens. We'll talk about it next week. Go Irish.